Coming up on Chasing the Natty, with the CFF regular season winding down and many of us ready to tee off in our league's playoffs, I'll be bringing you guys another round of players to take a look at on the waiver wire this week. In addition, I asked you guys to send me some questions, and I'll be answering three of those questions and the show. They'll cover a wide variety of topics, including the legitimacy of chasing systems in CFF, what kind of processes I used when determining keepers, as well as freshman QBs set to make a big jump for this next year. All that and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside, dropped down for Franklin! A majestic touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everyone. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work. On this Monday morning, we are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus to Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday and Wednesday morning during the season at 6 a.m. sharp. If you want to support the great work we're doing here, head on over to campusdecanton.com and subscribe there with one of our fantabulous tiers especially the nil tier because guys we got a pretty awesome tool that the nil members are going to get a sneak peek at this week so you should sign up for that so you can get a quick look at our tools it's going to be a ton of help during the off season let me tell you that anyway you'll find everything you need on our website for your cff devi c2c embedding needs including rankings articles tools and even more than that you can also find me on the show on twitter I am at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. Alrighty, enough of the spiel there. You guys know the drill, but if you're listening to this by at this point in the season, man, what a great week of college football. There's really no other way to say it. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it was like, you know, the most amazing, like I was sitting there at the end of the night completely exhausted from just the sheer overwhelming amazingness of it, but it, like it was just wall-to-wall, just really good football games at pretty much every one of the major slates i mean during the noon kickoff i was pretty much had my eyes mostly on kansas state versus texas notre dame versus clemson uh those games both had their fair amount of interestingness right there again kansas state coming back versus texas and just couldn't get it done i don't know why they i it was a weird call to end that game going forward on fourth and five i get it you were driving you were trying to put it into the end zone but Man, like Kansas State was playing pretty even with Texas up until that point, especially in the second half there. So for them to try to go for it, that wasn't like a team that was like sitting there being like, oh my God, how did we get here? Like, no, Kansas State was pretty much even with Texas throughout a good chunk of that game. And so I don't know why they didn't try to take it for another overtime. Didn't really make much sense to me there. Then Notre Dame versus Clemson. That one caught me off guard completely. Again, everybody's joking about like, oh, Tyler from Spartaburg really kicked it, kicked it into Clemson there. No, I think it's just that Clemson, for all its faults this year, still can be a really good football team when they put things together there. And I think Notre Dame just kind of caught the bad side of it. Now, it didn't help that Notre Dame's entire offensive game plan was just... It was just mind-boggling at times. It was the entire game. I just remember myself going every time Notre Dame had the ball. I'm like, all right, this is it. This is when Notre Dame's passing attack starts get going again. And everything we're going to see what we were seeing towards the beginning of the season a bit more. And this was just me the entire game. It's just that over and over again. It's like every every three now every time that the offense stalled for Notre Dame. It just was an absolute mess for them that entire day. They were gift-wrapped at a touchdown by Clemson. Otherwise, that game would have really seemed out of control, even close to that point. And then the afternoon slate again. I'm obviously, Georgia fan. Watched my Georgia Bulldogs go up against Missouri. Closer game than I was expecting, I'll be real. But at the same time, it was kind of good to watch a really good football game at that point. Missouri, t- hats off to you guys. You played a really good game. I think we can all agree the refs sucked in that game. Like, sucked big time. Just completely making up calls out of nowhere. 
uh, during that game at some points, and just the way they handled some of the calls, even if, even they were beneficial to Georgia or Missouri, it was just super super weird how they were calling that game, and that continued on to Alabama LSU later that night, but to a lesser degree. And then obviously I watched Oklahoma Oklahoma State. That was a really fun game to kind of have on in the background as I was watching Georgia versus Missouri. Uh, sucks for Oklahoma again. They had a really really good start to the year, and I really do think that they they were a team that could compete for a national title. It's just that game against Kansas last week was a really big road bump there. Injuries starting to pile up a little bit. And just unfortunately, Oklahoma couldn't get the job done. Oklahoma State, hot team, kept it going. Good for them. Uh, really, the PSD resistance though, was that definitely that Washington-USC-Bama-LSU double feature we had going on during primetime. I had both of those games up at the same time. It was absolutely gorgeous. Just points galore. Again, yes, the defenses could have been better in terms of making stops and everything like that, but just the back-and-forth nature between both of those games was a ton of fun to watch throughout that entire thing. And then one thing I wanted to give a shout-out real quick is that I don't think a lot of people... Really, not a lot of people were really talking about this yesterday, but like we always joke about, like, man, how much would you pay for a red zone style show for college football well we got one yesterday actually and like as much as we rag on pat mcafee he got it done he went to espn2 and said hey let me and reese davis do a red zone style show during prime time on espn2 and i turned it on at one point just to kind of see how it was like and everything this is kind of the second half of the alabama u uh alabama lsu and the usc washington games kind of went Went and watched it from that perspective for a bit, and I'll be real, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a ton. Like, yes, there were clearly some problems. They were they the microphone quality that they were using wasn't great. They're were, they're were in a gymnasium. They weren't in a studio, so it wasn't like they were using the best of equipment or anything like that. It was a qu- clearly a less quality show than I think some people were kind of expecting. But at the same time, that kind of added to the charm a little bit, in my opinion, because like. We always complain, like, Pat McAfee's always trying to go 12 when he could, could only be going 10. And he was super reserved during this. Like, he was quiet. Like, I don't know if he was just exhausted from, you know, doing game day earlier in the day. But he was complete, way more relaxed. Reese Davis was kind of being his normal self for the most part. But, like, they weren't announcing. They weren't running a show. They were just two dudes talking and watching football. And it was actually a, really a ton of fun to hear guys that I respect for the most part like love watching just kind of be dudes and talk football during it switch back and forth between different games and stuff like that i thought they did a pretty fun job clearly some improvements to be made there um some people complained about the fact that they um like mostly focus on usc washington and i think there's two understandable reasons for that one it is it was an espn game compared to like a cbs game for alabama lsu so you know espn's probably going to focus a little bit more on their product just kind of a thing you have to deal with broadcasting. But then the other part of it was like there was literally constant action between USC and Washington. So it was hard to really cut away from that game at any given point, except to kind of throw in some of the touchdowns and red zone opportunities from some of the other, um, from some of the other games and everything like that. Cause like, how could you cut away from that USC Washington game? It was crazy. I think they did a great job. I'm looking forward to more of it. I really hope you, uh, ESPN continues to do that and just bring on different guests. I think it was a ton of fun. I think they should do it a lot more. Maybe your boy will be on it one day. Anyway, enough of me rambling on about this past weekend. I hope you guys enjoy the games that you were able to watch. Let me know if there's any of the ones out there that you watched that you thought were worth kind of mentioning as part of the recap here. But we are a college fantasy football show, so we need to talk about some college fantasy at some points. And of course, to start that, as always, we are going to hit up some of this waiver talk here for this upcoming weekend. And you guys know what we got to do first. We got to go and talk about some of these trap players. You guys know, don't go chasing points in college fantasy football. You got to be smart about who you're investing in on the waiver wires. Don't be going and grabbing the guy that, you know, was like QB1 from this past weekend, but he probably can never do that again even if you tried context is key in college fantasy got fantasy football these guys are the bamboozlers these guys are the traps of this week's waiver wire let's go ahead and stop start here right at the top with the quarterback position really no other place to go really than ethan vosco top I believe 15 quarterback on the week here um the third stringer for coastal carolina going up against old dominion this past week he had himself a really good game. Again, 36.2 fantasy points. Easily, actually, that might be a top 10 performance right there. 
31 attempts, 17 completions, 180 yards, a touchdown, and then really the magic came on the ground. Uh, 21 attempts, 170 yards, and a touchdown there. Just an absolute monster day on the ground. This is really nice, but it is a small sample size. We do not have a ton of data to go along with Mr. Vasco here. And I wouldn't mind wanting to bet on him if he wasn't the third stringer. Again, Guest was the guy I had on the waivers last week. He was the guy that I was like, okay, this could be fun for Coastal moving forward here. But then he was out completely inexplicably this weekend. And Vasco comes in, like I said, does really, really well. We have no information, really, on what was going on with Guest. We don't know if he's going to be back next week. We don't know if, if Vasco is going to Wally Pip him here and everything. It's just a lot of unknowns here. I personally would avoid the situation. Most of you got quarterback figured out. There's certainly much better other quarterback options out there. We'll get to that here in a second. But for right now, I'd avoid Coastal Carolina's QB situation. Just kind of seems like a mess right now. Next up here, Gregory... Uh, I, De Rosiers, I, I I think that's 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 kind of how you pronounce it there. Running back at UMass, went up against an FCS opponent this past weekend, Mary Mack. For those of you who have heard of that, he is a classic, classic, classic waiver wire traps profile here that you guys know I have come to identify over the weeks, and it has worked out well for us a ton over the weeks. Only ten touches this past weekend, but he got 162 yards and three touchdowns. Like that is completely completely unsustainable this is a dude that has not gotten more than seven touches in a game all season we know who the number one running back for UMass is it is Adams this is a guy that really I think someone someone out there somewhere got screwed by Dave Rosieros here because Adams did not score a touchdown on the day even though he had kind of his typical workload kind of had his typical production and DeRozier stole all three touchdowns against an FCS opponent. So it was just completely bad luck for the Adams owners out there right now. It certainly sucks. This is not like a scenario where DeRozier is going to be, you know, overtaking Adams to end the year or anything like that. It was just bad luck on the touchdown front. Now, I will say, for those of you who keep asking about, like, oh, who's guys who you might, like, who go really, really cheap in your league, you might, like, kind of grab right now. DeRozier, if... If Adams doesn't come back next year, which is a possibility, again, he has one more year, but like if he doesn't come back, Dave Rosier, he's got two years of eligibility after this year. I think that like if you're looking for a potential, like, all right, if Adams is gone, who steps up? It seems like Dave Rosier is that next guy up. But for right now in redraft leagues, absolutely not. Don't go for it. Very similar profile in this next guy here, though. Isaac um, Guerrendo, the running back out of Louisville. This past week, 11 touches, three touchdowns, 146 yards. Pretty much almost the exact same scenario here. Just lots of explosive plays. Good for him. Did really, really well with uh, Jawar Jordan continuing to be super banged up there. But he he didn't take on the Jawar Jordan load. That's the kind of the thing. I feel like we've been here before with Isaac Garendo here. And that is like when Jordan goes out, I'd be more excited about uh, Garendo if if Jordan went out and Grand was coming in with like 20 touches on the day, but he hasn't done that all season long. He is clearly just part of a committee as soon as Jordan goes away. Now, him being this explosive might get him some more touches in the future if Jawar Jordan is out for a little bit more, but that's not something I'm willing to bet on. And I would say this is kind of similar to Dave Rozier's where like maybe this is a guy to keep on for next year, but Garando is out of eligibility after this year, so he's not even valuable for that. So personally... I'd avoid the situation. Uh, very similar, again, another very similar deal here. Elijah Young, the running back at a Western Kentucky. This past week, I don't know if you guys watched that, or, or those of you who have Western Kentucky players, you knew exactly how painful this game was for Western Kentucky. I mean, they had to claw and scratch at anything they could get in terms of points, and that included actually using a running back. Wow, gasp. Didn't know Western Kentucky was capable of doing that. And to the degree they did it, it wasn't really much. I mean, 12 attempts, 139 yards, and two touchdowns. Like, they didn't give the ball to this guy much, but he was literally the only thing working for this offense for a good chunk of this game, and half of his production came on one of those carries. So, this is not something I wanted to bet on whatsoever. Like I said, only 12 touches, and 
he got multiple touchdowns in this game. He got two touchdowns in this past game. That represents one-third of all the touchdowns that have been scored by running backs for the Hilltoppers this year. That just shows you how little they use these running backs, how reliant they are on the passing game. Young is not a dude to invest in in the future whatsoever unless Western Kentucky completely overhauls their offense next year. Clay Helton, or, um, um, Helton gets fired. Not fired, excuse me. He would not get fired after the season. Uh, he gets hired away somewhere. Hollingshead doesn't return and everything like that. And West Kentucky's like, all right, we're going to run the ball more now. Maybe. Maybe at that point you might invest in Elijah Young. But for right now, absolutely not. Don't go and do it. Last guy we'll talk about here. Christian Lewis, the wide receiver out of Troy. This guy hasn't been bad. He's like he's not been abysmal throughout the year. It's not like he if you grabbed him, plugged him up next year, you're looking at a oh, like less than five points or anything like that. But like it's just that he hasn't really shown out like he did this past weekend really all year. Those of you who don't know, this past weekend, five targets, four receptions, 120 yards, three touchdowns. That already kind of tells you half the story right there. Only five targets to do what he did last week. Very explosive game. Good for him. That's awesome. He hasn't done anything like this all year. Legitimately, before this game, he had only 100-yard game before this weekend. This is not a dude that is going that you're going to look at, even if you look at the rest of his schedule and say, like, oh, maybe Troy's got some decent matchups here. No, I wouldn't do it. He's just not a guy that has been consistent enough for you to want to rely on, especially when you're in a critical situation like the playoffs. Not doing it whatsoever. All right, enough negativity there. Let me take a sip of water, and then we'll get over to some guys that you absolutely should be looking at for your waiver options. All right, perfect there. Quarterbacks were doing the same thing we did a couple weeks ago. <laughs> this past week, it pretty much kind of nailed home to me that, like, we don't need to, the, the options we need are already out there. We've talked about them enough here. Last week, again, I put out Guest. I put out Murphy. I forget who the third quarterback. Oh, Zion Webb. And he, he did pretty decent this weekend. I'm not, that, that, I, I was actually very surprised by how well he was able to take on um, South Carolina's defense there. But the other two, complete busts and everything like that. I'm like, okay, what about the guys we have been talking about? Noah Fafita, Jordan McLeod, Garrett Green, uh, Nicholas uh, Vas. Vatiado and Joey Aguilar, they all did pretty well this past weekend and everything like that. So guess what? I'm going to bring them all back up and we're going to run through them really quickly because again, you these are the guys you need. If you need quarterbacks for this playoff run, every single one of these guys right here are the guys you need to be looking at. We'll start with Noah Fafita here. I was super impressed with his performance this past weekend. UCLA is a legit, legit defense. They have been a top... Um, top 15 unit pretty much all year long. And Fafita, for his part, this past weekend, 32 attempts, 25 completions, 300 yards, three touchdowns. He is, That is probably one of his better performances outside of the USC game pretty much all year long here. It makes me feel a lot more comfortable about this upcoming schedule. He's got Colorado this weekend. That's already great. But then he's got Utah. Again, not fantastic. Don't love that. But at the same time, like, he went up against UCLA, still put up 300 yards on them. I feel okay with that. And then Arizona State, rivalry game, weird stuff can happen. But at the same time, like I'm willing to bet on him in that game. I think he's kind of proven that this is a pretty solid... He's a, he's a very solid starter moving forward and everything like that. Again, really the only bad, bad game he's had was against Washington State. And that's because literally he just got unlucky with the touchdowns he threw for 342 yards in that game that's the most he's thrown all season it's just that for some reason jonah coleman literally got every single touchdown in that game it was super super weird what they did in that game they get again 44 points and your quarterback doesn't put up a single touchdown that's just bad luck that's just bad luck at that point fafita is a legit option moving forward and we'll definitely talk about him in terms of future fantasy value down the line in one of the questions we'll be talking about but in terms of who else we could go with here, again, Jordan McLeod. What is this guy still doing on the waiver wire in two-thirds of leagues? Guys, guys, guys. This is a top 12 quarterback on the year. Not in just from this past week. He was QB1 this past week. He was a, he's a top 12 quarterback on the year, and he is available in two-thirds of leagues. What are we doing? What are we doing? He's been insane the last several months. Again, the lowest fantasy point totals he's had was against Georgia Southern, where he had 24.36 fantasy points in a four-point four passing touchdown league. Otherwise, 
You're talking about games of 45 against Utah State. You're talking about games of 32 versus Old Dominion. He threw, he put up a 50-burger against Georgia State this past weekend. He is a dude that has thrown for three-plus touchdowns in five out of his last six games. And in the one game he didn't throw for um, multiple touchdowns, he was able to pick it up on the ground with 69 yards and a touchdown. He's got the legs. He uses them pretty much every other game here. Again, he has some kind of dud games with his legs, but I mean, what is this? Six rushing touchdowns in the last six games? Dude, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And he's got an incredible schedule coming up here as well. Like, you got UConn this upcoming weekend. They're 103rd versus the pass. Appalachian State, they're 35th versus the pass, but I, again, given Appalachian State's rushing defense is not great, so I have a feeling that it is. Again, one of those scenarios where a lot of people prefer to run it on Appalachian State, so therefore they don't have to pass as much, and that kind of inflates Appalachian State's passing numbers right there. I think Jordan McLeod is more than good enough to find multiple touchdowns in that game as well. And then got Coastal Carolina to finish out. Again, very manageable schedule there throughout the entire playoffs. It's absolutely insane that this dude is still available in so many leagues. Garrett Green, quarterback out of West Virginia there. He's QB 36 on the year. Very, very solid um, streak of games here ever since he's come back from his injury. Pretty much the worst game he had was this past week against BYU, where, again, it was just a little bit of bad luck in terms of touchdowns. He only got two touchdowns in the day, just a little over 200 yards, and just really didn't do much on the ground with his legs. But at the same time, like, this upcoming schedule he's got. He's got Oklahoma this upcoming weekend. Some of you might be like, "Oh God, that's a that's a tough schedule. That's a tough game right there." Nope, Oklahoma ninety fourth against the pass, and also willing to give up plenty on the ground as we saw against Oklahoma State this past weekend. That is a defense that is banged up and not performing to the standard that it is typically performed to to start the season. So I think he should be able to find some points against Oklahoma. But then he's got Cincinnati afterwards. They're ninetieth versus the pass. He's got Baylor after that point. 58th versus the pass, but bottom 30 against the rush. So his legs will probably be used in that game. But like, long story short, he's been super consistent f- four out of the last five weeks. 20 plus points, in, or, or 20 not, excuse me, 25 plus fantasy points in four point passing touchdown leagues in four out of the last five games. I think that you might be overthinking it a little bit if you think, eh. Maybe this guy that's been underperforming for two weeks for me is better than Garrett Green. Nope, probably Garrett Green's better. Garrett Green's probably a safer pick for you to go grab in the playoffs. Nicholas uh, Vatiato, I'm a little bit more hesitant with this one, but at the same time, like some of these other guys, just been very consistent the last couple of weeks here. Again, 24, 25, 30, 20 fantasy points over the last couple of weeks. 29-plus passing attempts in each of these games. 35-plus in each of, in three out of the last four a little unlucky this past weekend with that Middle Tennessee-New Mexico State game, which I think a lot of people are really betting on, especially with uh, Diego uh, Pavia and Nicholas Vadiato going at each other in that game, hoping it would be a little bit high scoring. 20 points total between the two teams. Just definitely not what you wanted to see there. But even still, Vadiato plays in the CUSA there's a lot of points to be had in those matchups. Typically, they got FIU this weekend, who's 76 versus the pass. But quite frankly, like they could be far worse than that. And then he finishes up with UTEP and Sam Houston, two defenses that have been super Jekyll and Hyde. So maybe you're a little bit worried about him in those games. But at the same time, like given how consistent he's been, even in bad games, like find me a quarterback that is able to still provide you 20 fantasy points in a in a um in a game where they only that team only scores one touchdown. That's pretty impressive. impressive. And Vatiato was able to provide that this past weekend. So consistency is there. He'll find the points one way or another. Last guy here, Joey Aguilar. QB 17 on the year. Again, it's crazy to me that in three-fourths of leagues right now, a top 20 quarterback on the year is available to a ton of people. And listen to this beautiful schedule right here. Just listen to this. Georgia State. They're 120th versus the pass. James Madison, 126th versus the pass. Georgia Southern, 123rd versus the pass. He has three, I repeat, three bottom 15 defenses against the pass to finish the year. You cannot ask for better than that. That is absolutely incredible. And he's been absolutely killing it the last couple of 
weeks. Again, 300-plus yards in three out of his last five games, 250 in four out of his last five games. Really, the weakest game he had was this past week against Marshall, where he only threw for 229 and three touchdowns. But even still, that's enough to get you 25 fantasy points. I'm okay with that. Like, Joey Aguilar has been a revelation for Appalachian State. We kind of knew coming into the season that whoever the Appalachian State quarterback was going to be probably was going to do really well. And Aguilar, if you pick them up now, that is a great, great value. So those are the quarterbacks. I try to go through this as pretty, as pretty quickly as possible. But now we can head on over to some of the running backs. We'll go through these probably a little bit slow, but we're also already at 27 minutes in here. So we probably need to take this at the same pace here. And we will. We'll, we'll start here with Phil Maffa, the, quarter, the running back out of Clemson. With Will Shipley down, this makes all the sense in the world. This is where you're going to find most of your value on the waiver wire. It's just guys getting hurt, unfortunately, and finding that next man up, especially in these situations where there's two main guys and one of them goes down. And Phil Maffa has been absolutely, absolutely taking advantage of Shipley going down. Last two games for him have been really, really solid games. Against NC State, 16 carries, 84 yards, and two touchdowns. That was the game that... Shipley went down. Shipley doesn't play this past weekend, and guess what Clemson does? They ride the absolute living hell out of Phil Maffa here. 36 attempts this past weekend, 186 yards, two touchdowns. Top 10 performance for RB this past weekend. Very, very impressive. If you're if you're rostering him in a dynasty league and you're thinking that Will Shipley goes to the NFL after this year, you got to be feeling really, really good about yourself right there. And then you have the remaining schedule. If Maffa stays as the RB1, Shipley is out for the rest of the year, potentially. I don't know. We, we haven't really gotten any confirmation on what's kind of going on there. But even still, Maffa, if he's a lead guy this weekend, he's got Georgia Tech, who is bottom three in the country for rushing defense. And after that, you get UNC, who is 78th, so below average. And then you get South Carolina right after that, which we just saw how abysmal that defense is against even a... a offense from Jacksonville State. So yeah, no. I think that Phil Maffa, so long as Will Shipley is out, he is absolutely worth a pickup. Like there's no way you're this is there's no way you're gonna let this guy pass up on anybody else. We've seen Clemson running backs in the past do really, really well. I mean, shoot Will Shipley was a top two round running back earlier this year. Why treat Phil Maffa any differently, especially with there being little to no other competition for him in that backfield? So we'll see. Let's go. Marion Lukes, the running back out of Central Michigan. I feel like we might have brought him up here before, but I'm going to pretend like we didn't. We'll talk about him again. It's been late enough now that we can bring him up. This Central Michigan backfield, it is absolutely one of those deals where you are sitting there being like, oh, it's such a committee most of the time. But their other running back goes down. Marion Lukes is absolutely that guy to step up for the Chippewas here. And he has been great over the last couple of weeks against Ball State. 18 carries, 80, or excuse me, 58 yards and a touchdown, as well as five receptions for 42 yards and no touchdowns there. So finishing the day around 18 fantasy points are really good stuff there. And then this past week. No no receiving work, but still gets 20-plus carries, 202 yards, and a touchdown. Now, against, it was, again, it was against NIU, who has been very porous against the run, so don't get me wrong. Again, there's a little bit of situation deal going on there. But at the same time, we have ourselves a nice little setup here. If he continues to remain the number one back for the Triple Wilds, especially in a PPR league, anytime you can get an RB who has the upside of catching five balls in a game, you are feeling really, really good about that. He's got himself a pretty nice schedule up and coming. Western Michigan and Toledo are two of the three games that he'll be playing against, and they have pretty average rushing defenses. So if he just kind of does what he's typically done, he should be pretty good to go in those games. He does have Ohio in the middle there. Again, they're 15th against the run, so maybe a little bit of hesitancy there. But at the same time, I think for the most part, he'll be okay. All right, I'm going to skip the next one here and take a sip of water real quick. Uh, perfect. Hydrate or dehydrate, y'all. Anyway, another Mac running back. We got Lorenzo Lingard, the running back out of Akron. He has been a dude that I feel like a lot of us have just been kind of waiting for him to get the keys to the kingdom here. You have their, uh, the, the quarterback at Akron go down here. 
uh, under Cutler has been the guy back there, and he's been doing really well for himself. But, 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 Lingard really kind of feels like that guy that Akron can and will put their entire team on the back of. At least he proved that this past week in their game against Kent State, where they came from behind to win that game. And it was no coincidence that Lingard got his highest carry totals at 22 carries in that game, 106 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Also got two receptions for 49 yards there. So they're going to get this dude involved. They're going to, I feel like they're going to continue to rely on him moving forward if they want to have a chance at winning the any of the remainder of their three games here. They get Miami of Ohio. They get Eastern Michigan. They get Ohio. We already kind of mentioned Ohio is a little bit of a kind of tougher matchup there against the run. But Miami of Ohio, they're 41st against the run, so pretty solid, but they're not like, you know, they're not going to completely stuff him, especially with Lingard being a former borderline five-star running back. Obviously, he did not live up to that, but at the same time, like, he is a dude that can kind of unlock that talent every once in a while for some really big games. And then smack dab in the middle of those two games, you got Eastern Michigan, they're 122nd versus the run. I feel like Joe Moorhead and this offense are absolutely going to take advantage of that matchup right there. And Lingard will be very, very good to you there in that week 12 slate. Let's go take a look at a couple of running backs that, again, they have their own individual pages here. But we've we've talked about these guys before. But in my opinion, they might be more important than the three guys I mentioned before. Except maybe Mafa. Mafa is kind of in his own tier among the new guys. But... Malik Sherrod is also freaking incredible here. Again, he's rostered in 29% of leagues right now. I don't know how still. Maybe I think people are still kind of recovering from the whiplash that was, you know, full on Elijah Gillum to back to Malik Sherrod and stuff like that. Sherrod's been on a tear recently. Again, against Utah State, 131 yards. Against UNLV, 56 yards and a touchdown. And then this past week, against Boise, 132 yards and a touchdown, as well as some receiving work there, as well as a kickoff return touchdown. So go Malik Sherrod there. He is absolutely the bell cow back for this Fresno offense. Again, it took it took a bit to get there with him getting healthy to start the season and everything, but it is super, super clear now. Like they, The plan was always, always to rely on Sherrod, especially as we got down here towards the later part of the season. And man, just like Joey Aguilar, this is schedule just sets up so beautifully right here among the three remaining games you got san jose state who is 119th versus the rush you got new mexico who's 102nd versus the rush and you got san diego state who's 105th versus the rush this this dude if you're in a league where this dude's still available you could be potentially picking up a league winner league winner here like that's a, quite simple as that. Like he is a dude that could absolutely go off in each and every one of those games. He's got th- two thirty-plus fantasy points to over the last couple of weeks here. If he wasn't injured to start the season, I guarantee you this guy would be a top twelve running back on the year. I mean, there's really not much else to say. Again, the, the matchups are great. It, he's he's been on a tear. Go grab him. Like <laughs> there's nothing else to prove with Malik Sharat. Um, and then speaking of other things to prove, again, we got another, we got freshman here, Caden Fagan, running back out of Illinois. He has proven that he is a guy that the Fighting Illini can rely on moving forward. Again, with Reggie Love and uh, um, Joshua Cray getting injured, uh, Love kind of being in and out on the banged up side of things and everything like that. Fagan's taken over, and he has seen 20-plus touches in each of his last three games hasn't really hit that 100-yard mark on the ru- in terms of rushing and everything, but you know, combined receiving and rushing absolutely has. He was able to do it this past weekend with 22 attempts, 86 yards, or excuse me, 89 yards, uh, no touchdowns on the ground, but he was able to catch the ball three times for 59 yards and a touchdown there. He is a guy that I think, quite frankly, is set up to be a huge bell cow back next year. I wouldn't be surprised if Reggie Love and Joshua Cray both entered the transfer portal. After this year, Fagan has been great for the Fighting Illini. And just like some of the other guys here, really good schedule here to end of the year. Indiana, 100th versus the Rush. Iowa, a little bit tougher there. No no lie and everything like that. Uh, kind of a rough Week 12 matchup right there. But at the same time, if you're getting 20-plus touches, I'm willing to kind of take that risk a little bit if you are. And then you get Northwestern to the end end of the year, who's going to be more than likely in full quit. I don't want to play here anymore. 
by that point. They're not going bowling. They're not doing anything else. So probably we'll see Caden Fagan probably run all over Northwestern there with their 78th uh, offense against the rush there. Or not offense, defense against the rush. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Grab this guy. Use him to get through your first round of uh, playoffs and then hold him, hold, hold him as a secret weapon for the championship run. Let's go and talk about some of these wide receivers. And we got a Maxion player. We got an SEC player. We got a Pac-12 player. We got ourselves a Big 12 player as well. So all over the board on this one. But we first got to go back to the Maxion. And our boy Trayvon Rudolph or Travion Rudolph, if you are one Felix Sharp. This is a guy that we, before the season, we were like, okay, is this the comeback year? Because for those of you who don't remember, two years ago... Rudolph was having a phenomenal freshman year. Uh, he was just absolutely tearing up the Mac. Had one, I believe, 300-yard game and four touchdowns. Just completely, completely blew up. The like epitome, the face of Maction was Travion. Or, oh my goodness, Felix, now you got me saying it. Was Trayvon Rudolph. And he gets hurt. He gets hurt last year right before the season. We never really got to see it. And he comes back a year later. And it's kind of a slow start here. But now, over the last couple of games, double-digit targets in each of his last two games. 13 targets against Eastern Michigan, 10 targets versus Central Michigan, 55 yards versus Eastern Michigan, 170 yards versus Central Michigan. I think we're starting to see Rudolph kind of rev up here, and he's got himself a really nice schedule moving forward here. Ball State, 75th versus the, um, versus the pass. Western Michigan, 108th versus the pass. Kent State, 85th versus the pass. I do believe that we are going to see Rudolph have himself a really nice stretch here. And yeah, just kind of invest in him, um, play him out there for your Maction matchups. And hopefully NIU doesn't have any dud games because unfortunately that's just how Maction be sometimes. Next up here, we got one Mr. Eugene Wilson, the wide receiver out of Florida. I was kind of surprised to see that he was still kind of readily available. Again, true freshman here. Was hyped up to start the season. I was a little hesitant to really invest in any kind of Florida player this year, given, you know, Graham Mertz is back there at quarterback. And, you know, in some games that absolutely is warranted. But looking at the target share that Eugene Wilson has been getting over the last couple of games, their game plan really is look for Eugene or Trey, as they call them there at Florida. Look for Trey and let's just see what happens. He has gotten nine plus targets in each of the last four games that he has played. He's got a touchdown in three of the last four games that he has played. Very, very consistent wide receiver here. In half PPR formats, you're talking about fantasy points of 16.4, 13.4, 19, and 25. So again, not talking about like any, you know, all world performances or anything like that, but like Fantasy points that you would look at your team and be like, okay, thanks, Eugene. Appreciate you doing your job and everything like that. And then like many of the other guys on this list, he's got himself a pretty nice schedule here. LSU, 88th versus the pass. Missouri, who is 69th versus the pass. They've been like a really big, like Jekyll and Hyde defense throughout the entire year where it's like they've been really good at slowing down some offenses. And then other times like, man, like I could get out there and run past some of these DBs that Missouri was putting out there. So I'd be willing to start him in that game as well. And then the last game of the year is kind of a tough one to gauge. It's Florida State. They're 26 versus the pass. They've, again, another defense has kind of been up and down a little bit. But for the most part, they've been pretty locked down. I would be hesitant to start him in that game. But it's a rivalry game, so you never know. We'll see. All right. Last but not least, let's go talk about, or not last but not least. I got two more to talk about. Good Lord, Jared. This one I'm excited about. Mr. Tez Johnson. The wide receiver out of Oregon, also known as the the adoptive brother of one Bo Nix. We always joke that in college fantasy that nepotism is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Just ask uh, Chuck Sizzle from last year and literally any wide receiver that is the roommate of the starting quarterback. It is a great thing to see. Tez has been on a pretty good tear. We've talked about in the past that Will Stein coming in, we knew that he was going to kind of like... Dillingham, when he was OC at Oregon, loved to spread the ball around. He was a guy that, um, again, would would try to kind of find creative ways to get p- different people the ball. Will Stein was not that. He identified, who are my studs? 
We need to get them the ball. That's why I've seen Troy Franklin do a lot better this year. And then Tess Johnson now clearly becoming the number two guy for this Oregon offense. Again, seven plus targets in each of the last four games. And then this past week, 14 targets against Cal. I guess Cal was really trying to kind of lock in on Troy Franklin. Didn't work. Um, but even still, it left Tess Johnson wide open for a ton here. 12 receptions, 180 yards, and two touchdowns. And you're thinking like, okay, maybe he kind of dials it back a little bit here. You know, it kind of goes back to the 12.6, 18.4 he was doing before. He only got 18, he only got 8.1 yards versus Utah there. But he's got USC this week. And guys, we all know. We all know. When, when your players are going up against USC, you might as well start with as many of them as you can. Tej Johnson has shown this year that he is absolutely an explosive guy. Again, long, long touchdowns of 46 yards versus Washington State, 48 yards versus Cal. He's going to break at least one big one this weekend against USC. They're 99th versus the pass. I think he is more than fine there. Arizona State, they followed that up with uh, 73rd versus the pass. And then Oregon State, who's 80th. If you're struggling at wide receiver, I think Tez Johnson's absolutely worth a look here. Don't think you're going to get a guy who's going to score 30 points every week or anything like that. But if you just need a guy that you're like, all right, I need I need 15 points. 15 points out of you, Tez. Can you give me 15 points? Tez will look right back at you and says, absolutely. All three of these matchups I got coming up, I can do that against. So go and get Bo Nix's little brother there. And then last but not least, this is the one I'm a little bit more hesitant about, but you guys know me. I love to play systems. I love to identify guys that are kind of emerging in key roles in different offenses. And those of you have been playing college fantasy long enough, you know how beautiful the outside number one wide receiver for Oklahoma State is. And Rashad Owens has been slowly kind of coming into that role over there. He's not fully there yet but he's had himself some really nice volume the last couple of weeks. Again, seven targets plus in each of the last four games, double-digit targets in two games, one against Kansas and then one against Oklahoma. 200-yard games during that time. Hasn't found the end zone yet, but I have a feeling we're going to get there here soon. I've mentioned this before. When guys are getting this much volume and they're just not finding the end zone, that's just some bad luck. It is going to regress to the mean here pretty soon, and it should do pretty well. In these next three matchups, Oklahoma State, man, they got big ti- Big 12 title hopes, man, and they are sitting quite pretty with these uh, matchups coming up here. You got three of the new Big 12 members here in UCF, Houston, and BYU. You got Houston, who's 106 versus the pass. You got BYU, who is 60th versus the pass. And UCF is 39th versus the pass, but if, again, once again, UCF's run defense is atrocious. I think that absolutely impacts what they're able to do against the pass because everybody just runs on them. Now, that sucks for anybody facing Ollie Gordon this upcoming week, but we'll definitely see. We'll definitely see. All right, last but not least, you guys know what I like to do here. We got to talk about some defensive streaming options here. Let's take a look at what we have here for this week. Actually, no, let's not do that because let's do what I normally do and let's take a look at what we did last week. And oh boy, actually, you know what? Uh, For those of you who remember what I did last week, let's not talk about that. Let's just say we only had one DST option last week that finished in the top 40. Not one of my better weeks. So hopefully we're going to do better here this week. First up, we got Troy. I love, love using the Troy defense here. They are absolutely... um, pretty dominant for a g5 team here and they get ul monroe this week who just literally put up seven points to southern miss one of the worst defenses in the g5 it is it, it it's not looking pretty for the warhawks there definitely not one of my better better calls there over the last couple of weeks and then you got army going up against holy cross this week Sometimes it really is just as simple as finding the team playing against a FCS competition and just rolling with it. Yes, you have some FCS schools that really come out of nowhere and just really challenge some of these G5, Power 5 teams. But at the same time, like as I, saw, I, I thought that same thing with North Carolina this past week. And guess what? They went out there. They kept, they kept Campbell to seven points, and that was it. And you're like, okay, really overthought that one. So I'm not going to overthink it this week. I'm going to take Army going up against Holy Cross this week. 
Oregon State going up against Stanford this week. This Stanford, man, every time I try to pick on them, that that's when they have one of their weird explosive breakout games. But I, they they put up seven points versus Washington State this past weekend. I have a feeling Oregon State's going to do just fine against them. This next upcoming week, um, we got Pittsburgh going up against Syracuse, and this is almost entirely based on is Carlos Del Rio Wilson the starting quarterback for Syracuse? If not, then I don't like this as much. But if Carlos Del Rio Wilson is the starting quarterback for Syracuse, you absolutely need to play whatever defense is playing up against him. This dude had, I haven't seen a meltdown like this since Chernobyl, okay? Like this dude completely, completely flipped out last week against, um, oh my goodness, who did Syracuse play last week? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. Regardless, it was it wasn't even that hard of an opponent. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on that. I'm gonna pick on him a little bit more and play the Pittsburgh defense against him. And then last but not least, again, North Carolina State. This is a team that has had some really solid defensive performances the last couple of weeks, held Miami to only six points. So well done, Wolfpack there. They go up against Wake Forest. Wake Forest still having a lot of problems at that quarterback position. They probably find one touchdown and field goal in this game, but at the same time, I think North Carolina State should be able to hold them down pretty, pretty well. All right. That's it for DSCs and all the waiver wire options for this week, but we are not at the end of our show like we typically are. Again, because of there being less options of the waiver wire, because of me kind of running through them a little bit quicker, because we talked about some of them already, I wanted you guys to kind of fill up the last bit of the show here. So I put out a little tweet Part of the reason why you should be following me on Twitter at CFF underscore Jared. Just kind of asking you guys for some questions, things you wanted to talk about here. And we got a pretty good variety of different options here. So we're going to hit three of them here. And right after I finish my sip of water. Okay. So the first one here comes to us from my buddy Mitch Hart. Um, and he has been playing college fantasy for a very long time. So he, he knows the kind of questions that... He likes to ask. He loves kind of thinking big picture with his stuff. And he asks, with Texas Tech and Western Kentucky being fairly normal this season, is the day of the small school system dead, dying, or alive and well? And kind of for those of you who might not be fully understanding, like, what is he asking there? Like, given that those two systems have fallen through this year, how much can we rely upon, quote, the system for schools in the future. And to I'll go ahead and answer the dying, alive, dead, or whatever. Um, it's alive and well, and I'll get to that here in a second. First, let's talk about some of these systems that have kind of fallen through this year. Show me a system that didn't go to plan this year, and I'll show you something that we as the college fantasy community, or at least certain experts, myself included, didn't take seriously enough in the offseason. We'll start with West Kentucky. The hire of Drew Hollingshead as an offensive coordinator. Nate Marquise picked up on this and did a really good job avoiding the players here um, for the most part. Because he, he warned about this during the offseason, so kudos to him. That The hire of Drew Hollingshead as OC meant less downfield shots. That, that is kind of the more Mike Leach air raid approach to, approach to the air raid system right there. Rather than Ben Arbuckle and even Zach Kitley, who are way more willing to kind of chuck it downfield um, than Mike Leach really ever is. So you're having less dot for your quarterback there. And this is also the third offensive coordinator change in three years. That's a hard, hard deal to get through for any program. It is hard to nail three hires in a row. Western Kentucky was on an absolute heater, bringing in Zach Kitley, promoting Ben Arbuckle after that point. They thought they had the next guy there with Drew Holling said, I have a feeling that he is not going to be around super long as the offensive coordinator for West Kentucky unless he shows massive improvement here, which given last week against UTEP, not looking so great. But then look at some of these other programs. Texas Tech. The Zach Hitley offense. We talk about it all the time. This is the reason why Tyler Shuck was going so high in drafts. And a couple of things kind of stand out to me with Zach Hitley over the last couple of years there. First and foremost... Has Zach Kittley, during his time at Texas Tech, ever had a healthy quarterback? Like, ever? He's been bouncing back and forth between different quarterbacks because they just keep getting hurt, keep getting injured. Like, between Tyler Shuck, Baron Morton, and Donovan Smith last year, like, none of those dudes could really stay healthy at any given point. 
And then this year, I mean, Tyler Shuck goes down. Morton goes down again. They had to start a true freshman and Jake and Jake Strong for two weeks there. And then the other part of it is, during his time at Texas Tech, has Kitley ever been able to handpick and develop a quarterback at Texas Tech? The answer is no. He's inherit he inherited all three of the quarterbacks he dealt with there to start last year: Tyler Shuck, Baron Morton, and um. Donovan Smith, he he inherited all three of those guys. And so none, none of those guys were guys he brought into the program and thought, all right, these guys are going to fit. These guys are perfect fits for my scheme already. He was trying to take what was already there and fit it into a system, and it just wasn't quite working out there. And then so maybe that gives you some hope for Jake Strong down the line because, again, he got some experience this year. It didn't look okay at times. Like, he didn't light the world on fire or anything like that, but he's a true freshman. Um when we saw Bailey Zappi for Zach Kitley, he was in year four of playing in Zach Kitley's system. Now you can also point out to me like, well, Jared Kitley didn't Kitley didn't inher- or didn't bring in Zappi. He inherited Zappi from Houston Christian, and to to which I say that is absolutely true. But like I said, by the time that Zappi was really really going in that system, he had been in that system for years at that point. The other part of it is like with with Texas Tech is like, in addition to everything going on with the quarterback position, Kitley's also working with a much better running back in Taj Brooks than he's ever had to work with before. I think as an offensive coordinator, that does just kind of force you to change your approach moving forward. Like when you have a guy that is clearly better than what you've had before, gotta work with it. And then last but not least, another example here that I'll throw out here that Mitch didn't mention here because he mentioned Texas Tech, Western Kentucky, but UTSA. That we can all agree that's a that's a system that we certainly were disappointed by for the most part this year. And one, I don't think we took Frank Harris's injury situation over the offseason seriously enough, and to which on me, cool. And then very similar to Western Kentucky, they're on their third offensive coordinator hire in three years. That is a again, they've been promoting with, with from within. That's great. Trying to keep the system that they they've had over the last couple of years makes a lot of sense. But as I mentioned before, it's hard to nail three coordinators in a row. Anyway, enough excuse making from me, um, which is probably what some of you are saying in terms of the system ideology for college fantasy football. Those are excuses. Those are the bad systems. Those are the ones that didn't work out well this year. I'm about to list off a number of players this year that were drafted for mostly system reasons. These are players that didn't, they weren't coming back from last year, weren't guys that, you know, had done had done it before and everything in the situation they were. Like, yeah, we draft those guys. We draft the Jaden Danielses. We draft the Caleb Williamses, of course. Like, yeah, you can say those are system plays, but at the same time, like, come on, y'all. Like, we saw them do it last year. That's not that's not really completely relying on the system. Here's some other guys that are doing really, really well this year that I drafted and many other people drafted this year because we saw the system and we knew the the people who perform well in those systems can do extremely well. We'll go with the quarterbacks. Byron Brown, who's QB4 on the year. Alex Golish's system. We drafted him because of that. Kadon Salter over there at Liberty and Jamie Chadwell's system. That's why people were drafting him over there. Jordan McLeod, quarterback out of James Madison. Like, yeah, it... It was hard to really justify drafting him because we didn't know if he was going to be the guy, but I drafted him. I took shots on him at the end of 30-round best ball drafts. Why? Because I knew if he became the guy, that system has taken broken quarterbacks before and completely turned them around. And like I said, Jordan McLeod is now a top 10 quarterback on the year. Shador Sanders going into that Sean Lewis system. People were all over that. He's QB 20 on the year. Brady Cook, Kirby Moore's offensive system coming to Missouri was going to help him out. And guess what? It did. He's QB 25 on the year. Jalen Milrow, quarterback out of the Alabama system. Again, Alabama's offense has produced really good quarterbacks over the last couple of years. Absolutely went and drafted him solely because like the Alabama systems produce really good quarterbacks between Bryce Young, between Mac Jones, between Tua Tagovailoa, between Jaden Hurts, like, what else are you going to do? And then, last but not least, T.J. Finley. This is like the ultimate play. Like, T.J. Finley's not a good quarterback. But, you know, people, once they kind of start figuring out that, you know, T.J. Finley's probably going to be the starting quarterback for Texas State, they started drafting him at the end of the, at their drafts. And guess what? He's QB 27. It's just like, that's just the quarterbacks. Again, looking at running backs, I got four guys right here. Ollie Gordon. It was a mess 
at Oklahoma State last year. It was an absolute mess last year. And everybody's like, okay, like any almost any other program, you're sitting there thinking like, okay, it was a mess of running back last year. It's not going to be much better this year. They bring in guys out of the transfer portal as well. Like clearly it's going to be a by committee approach this year. People were drafting Ollie Gordon. Why? Why? Because they've seen it happen before with guys like Chuba Hubbard, with guys like Jalen Ward. Ollie Gordon, man, they were like, hey, if there's going to be a running back that breaks out here, it's going to be Ollie Gordon. Guess what? He's RB2 on the year. And if you have him on your team, you know exactly how valuable that is. Raymond Davis, the running back out of Kentucky. We know how valuable the running back out of Kentucky is. And he has been phenomenal. Drafted him because of the system he went to right there. Jonathan Brooks. This is a dude that so many people are debating like, oh, he's not good enough to be the Texas top running back. Or like, oh, if he's the top running back out of Texas, it's going to be by by committee approach between him and Baxter and um, Jadon Blue and everything like that. Absolutely not. Brooks became the number one running back, and he is already in week 10, almost over 1,000 yards. He is the RB1 for Steve Sarkeesian because that's what Steve Sarkeesian RB1s do. Once he kind of looks... Laser focuses in on one guy. You got to go with him. Cody Schrader. This is a dude I drafted everywhere at the end of my drafts. I was all over Cody Schrader because I'm like, Kobe or Kirby Moore, man, when he gets an RB1 that he likes, he's going to ride him. And guess what? Cody Schrader's RB20 on the year. Again, that's quarterbacks, that's running backs, wide receivers, man. System, system play all year long. I went back and looked at some of my leagues this year and I noticed a common, common theme. And I said, or I noticed. In almost every single one of my leagues, with a few exceptions, I was top three in receptions, I was top three in receiving yards, and I was top three in receiving touchdowns. Why? Why? Because of my commitment to targeting systems here. And it has worked out super, super well for me here. LeJonte Wester, he's wide receiver two on the year. I said, Tom Herman, slot wide receiver, give me that. Troy Franklin. And you might say, uh, real pause, real, real quick pause. If some of you are like, Troy Franklin, Jerry, that doesn't count, man. Like, he, we, we, that's one of those guys we knew. No, Troy Franklin was wide receiver 38 last year. He was a good wide receiver, don't get me wrong, but he was not what he is currently is. He is currently wide receiver three. Why were people drafting him as a top 10 wide receiver this year when he had just barely pa- gotten past wide receiver 40 last year? Because of Will Stein's system. We mentioned this earlier. When Will Stein came to town, we were like, okay, he's going to funnel it to just a few receivers compared to Kenny Dillingham. So there's a massive jump there. Luther Burden, he was a wide receiver 132 last year. He's wide receiver nine this year. What changed? Kirby Moore's system, that's what changed. Jalen Polk, this is a guy that I was drafting, just kind of throwing in at the end of my best ball drafts. Why? Yes, he could have been wide receiver three the entire year, but I knew that Kalen DeBoer system, yes, McMillan and Adunze were probably going to be the stars in most weeks, but Polk was going to have himself some big games. And again, Obviously, him being wide receiver 10 has a lot to do with Jalen McMillan being hurt for a good chunk of the season. But even still, we knew he was going to have a big weeks because of the system. Terrell Vaughn, Blake Anderson's wide receivers. I was all over that. Xavier Weaver, people were drafting him because they're like, oh my God, Sean Lewis's uh, top outside options at wide receiver are going to be absolutely incredible. Guess what? Weaver's been absolutely incredible. Jamari Thrash, while he's been kind of banged up and kind of slowed down a ton over the last three weeks here, through week seven... He was a top 12 wide receiver on the season. Guess why? Why did we target him? Why did we go after him? Because of Jeff Brom's system. And then there's some other lesser extent guys out there, like Lincoln Victor. He's had nine plus targets in every game. He's been fully healthy. Stephen McBride and Pofele Ashlock over there with the run and shoot system in Hawaii. Like, yes, very up and down system. Still hasn't quite gotten there. But McBride's been pretty consistent throughout a good chunk of the year. Why? Because, again, that's what that system do. And then Joey Hobart. People would not have drafted, again, if people knew that he would be the starting outside wide receiver for the Texas State offense, they absolutely would have targeted him this year as well. Because that's, again, that's what goes after the system. And system guys perform well for fantasy. Yes, going after systems is absolutely alive and well. Just because a few systems that we really liked have kind of fallen through for one reason or another does not mean that we need to move away from that. I went off for a really long time on that question, so I apologize for any of you that are kind of wondering, all right, when are we getting to the next question? But I'm sorry. That's my process. I got to protect it like it's my baby. Going after systems did really, really well for a lot of people this year, including myself. Again, I am in a ton of my playoffs this year. Actually, I believe out of... I believe out of all of my leagues, there's only two 
that I haven't even been eliminated from the playoffs yet, but I'm fighting for a spot this week. Otherwise, every other, every single one of my other leagues, I have made the playoffs because this is what I do. I go and target guys out of the system. That's how I'm able to be successful. So very defensive there, but man, it's just what I got to do. Next one. This is a second question here from Corey Cavender. He asks a keeper question. This is I, I told everybody don't no sit and starts and everything like that because, again, you, there's a whole show dedicated to that. But Corey kind of got around it a little bit because it's kind of a sit-start question, but it's for, like, you know, a, a greater deal because it's a keeper question. He has three quarterbacks here, Noah Fafita, Jaden Rashada, and Jalen Raynor in Dynasty. Which of these two would I keep? I think this is a really good question because all three of these guys have serious, serious problems. I mean, Fafita there at Arizona, he's looked really good. Jaden Rashada, obviously kind of mid to start of the year, showed some flashes and everything, got hurt. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to see anything of him since then. But I think in that Kenny Dillingham offense, going into the Big 12, should be able to set up for a really nice season in this next upcoming year. And then Jalen Raynor, man, we've seen, we've seen, oh boy, we've seen those big games from him there at Arkansas State. Playing in the Sun Belt, he will absolutely have tons of great matchups in the next upcoming year. So of these guys, I think Raynor is my first keep. I legitimately think that this is a guy that will be a top five quarterback option going into next year. We've seen the 40, 50 point upside with him already, as I mentioned He's QB 42 on the year in a year where he didn't even start for the first um, two and a half, three games there. So yeah, for the first, for the, yeah, for a quarter of the season, he wasn't even starting for his team. So you're probably looking at a guy that probably finishes, if he started all, th- every single one of his games, probably finishes in the top 25 QBs on the year. So I think he would be a very safe option for me to keep for next year. That leaves... Uh, Fafita or Rashada two Pac-12 going into the Big 12 quarterbacks again one is Arizona State one is Arizona funnily enough so who would I go for well the case I have for Fafita is we've seen more of him and when we see more of him he's looked really good he's got he's got some pretty good weapons there and Ted McMillan should be coming back next year again obviously transfer portal can absolutely kind of mess things up here but he also has got uh, Montana Lamonius Craig who I think will be a pretty solid receiver for Arizona next year once Cowling is out of there as well. And they got Kevin Green, who I like as well. Definitely some guys that he can work with there. And then the case for Jaden Rashada is this. He's got a higher QB talent. Again, this is a borderline five-star guy that was once committed to Florida. Once some shenanigans happened there, he changed, went to Arizona State. We've seen what Kenny Dillingham is able to do with a guy like Bo Nix. Mm, excuse me. Oh my goodness. I don't know where that came from. We've seen what Dillingham can do with a guy like Bo Nix. Um, the other part of this is that this is kind of something I think we need to be kind of mindful of is we know, all know, how much can change in just a single offseason. With coaching changes, with the transfer portal and everything, things can get wild really, really quickly. So between Fafita and Rashada, I am actually going to say keep Rashada over Fafita Mostly for the reason that I believe Dillingham isn't going anywhere. He's at the job he wants to be at. He's got his quarterback. He's not going to try to change up anything there. Versus a guy like Jeff Jed Fish, he has turned Arizona's program around. Like they are looking really, really good. They, again, they have they have they you know, competed for the Pac-12 or anything like that. No, but they took USC to the wire. They they took Washington to the wire. Like, they performed really, really well. They are punching above their grade in a ton of these games. That's going to be a really, really popular head coaching hire. Somebody's going to poach him from Arizona, I would bet, over this offseason, in which case that completely changes the trajectory for Fafita. Rashada, I don't think there's going to be much of a trajectory change for him there at Arizona State. So I actually say keep Rashada and, you know, let go of Fafita. It's crazy because all three of these are really good quarterbacks and probably all three of these guys will be in my top 30 quarterbacks coming into next year again. I don't have my rankings yet. Don't ask me, y'all. It's just kind of a blind throw in the dark there. But even so, yeah, Raynor and Rashada would be my two picks there. So it gives you a little bit of insight into how I kind of think about keepers and how I kind of deal with the change from one season to another with some of these guys. 
Last question here. This one comes to us from Ty Myers. He's asking, in a very similar vein, what freshman QB this year will have the most production next season? It's impossible to give you one answer, Ty. Like, I could rank these guys out, but I'll just kind of leave you all with the names that I'm keeping an eye on. We just talked about Jalen Raynor and Jaden Rashada. Obviously, I think both those guys are set up for success next year. But other guys, Avery Johnson at Kansas State, clearly they plan on making him the next guy up after Will Howard. I personally think Will Howard transfers after this year, goes to a place that is in need of a really, really experienced quarterback. And I think Avery Johnson's got the job next year. Aiden Childs at Oregon State, I think he'll be pretty special there for the uh, for the Beavers next year. Lenora Sellers after Spencer Rattler is gone after this year. I have to imagine. Good Lord, I cannot imagine another year of Spencer Rattler there. And then, of course, you got like the three five-star quarterbacks sitting there. Clearly the next guy, or I won't even say clearly, but like looking to be the next guy up at their respective programs. Nico Iamalieva at Tennessee, Jackson Arnold at Oklahoma, and then Malachi Nelson at USC. If I had to pick one, who would be the most productive next year? I think I'm going to go with the combined... The combination of five-star talent and also a system that has produced really, really good quarterbacks for CFF. I guess I'm just going to go Jackson Arnold. Maybe that's a little biased because I do own quite a bit of Jackson Arnold shares in the leagues that I have. But at the same time, like that's just who I'm going to kind of go with because he kind of meets the best of both worlds. After that, I'd probably go Jalen Raynor. So those three questions were fun. I hope you guys enjoyed those. Hope you were able to get a little bit of information out of those. Again, it was a little fun to kind of go a different direction to here with the end of the show. Maybe I do that to continue, continue doing that throughout the rest of the season, really kind of go wildly different directions with the questions each week. Maybe it becomes a permanent part of the show. Who knows? With that, we have come to the end of our show. So I really want to thank you all for listening. If you have not already, leave a like, comment, and a subscribe if, you have, if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're on a podcast, follow the show and leave a five-star review where you can. Make sure you guys go and check out the rest of the Campus Canton Podcast Network for shows ranging on pretty much everything you can think of related to the college fantasy game, from recruiting to Debbie to full-on C2C podcasts and everything. We got pretty much here everything Um ready for you to go we'll see you guys back here on wednesday when justin and i finally reunite for another rendition of our sit start show for chasing natty until then really appreciate you guys and i hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed week see y'all